Coming up next, please join us for Real Israel Talk Radio. This is episode 138. Avi Ben Mordechai here. Shalom. You're tuned in to Real Israel Talk Radio. This is podcast episode 138. It is a continued historical summary that concerns the biblical priestly line of Aaron as it was passed down to the house of the sons of Sadok, as we understand them from the Dead Sea Scrolls. This episode is part 25 in my series involving the last Passover week chronology of Yeshua. Now, in the previous program, which was part 24, I brought our attention over to the priestly line of Aaron and how it came to be established through his firstborn son, Eleazar. Now, later, Eleazar passed on his elected authority to Pinchas, who then passed down his Aaronic authority downline to Sadok, based on First Chronicles. 24.3, and Nehemiah, or Nehemiah, 12, verse 4. This one, Sadok, came to be the chosen priest for the Judean house of Solomon, or Shlomo, who was the son of David. Within the line of Sadok, there were several well-known priests, at least according to Nehemiah or Nehemiah 11, verse 11. And this includes such personalities as Jeremiah the prophet and Ezra the priest and scribe. And you can see Ezra 7, verses 1 through 5. Further down line, we also learned about Yohanan or John who was also called the Baptist, who was the son of Zechariah. And he came from the line of Aviah. His wife, Elisheva, she came from the line of Aaron. This information is based on Luke 1, verse 5. Zechariah, being of the family of Aviah, had to be from the line of Tzedok, established on the principal fact that he was chosen by lot to offer incense in the house of Jehovah, the temple. And only those of the house of Sadok were permitted, at least according to scripture, for the job. And this is according to 1 Chronicles 23.13 and Numbers chapter 4, verse 16. Now, in returning to the narrative and story about Zechariah and Elisheva, do we then read that Zechariah's wife, Elisheva, conceived a son, and the name chosen for him was John or Yohanan. So, let's read Luke 1, 11 through 13. Then an angel of Jehovah appeared to him, referring to Zechariah, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. 
And when Zechariah saw, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard, and your wife, Elisheba, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Yohanan, or John. Now why did the angel of Jehovah tell Zechariah to name that yet unborn child Yohanan, or John? I would like to suggest a possible answer, because there appears to be a connection to the last known and legitimate high priest in the line of Aaron. In other words, the connection that was given to Zechariah to name his son Yohanan or John seems to be connected back to about the year 175 before the Common Era, or a little bit over one and a half centuries before the arrival and birth of Yeshua. Back at that time, at around 175 BCE, before the Common Era, there was a priest by the name of Onia, or Onias III. But keep in mind that Onia, or Onias, is how he was known in Greek. But according to the scroll of Ben Sirach, chapter 50, verse 1, it reads in Hebrew that the man's name was Ben Yochanan Hakohen, corresponding to the translation son of Yochanan the priest, which corresponds to the shortened name of Choni, which you could probably spell C-H. O-N-I, or perhaps H-O-N-I, it's with a chet. So it's from Hanan, or Yochanan, Choni the Kohen. Now, if in fact my suggestion has any merit, then it would certainly explain the narrative that is found in Luke 1, 59 through 64. Let's read it together. So it was on the eighth day, they, referring to all the family and friends of Zechariah and Elisheva, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zechariah. But Elisheva, the mother, she answered and said, No, he will be called Yochanan or John. But all the family and friends said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father, that is, Zechariah, because if you'll remember, he had gone mute while he was in the house or the temple doing the incense offering. The angel just put a stop to any of his speech that he couldn't talk. So they had to make signs to Zechariah as to what he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, His name is Yochanan, or John. So they all marveled. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, praising God. 
in naming the child Yochanan or John, it most certainly would have connected the Zadokite priesthood of John the Baptist to the last known and legitimate Zadokite priesthood of Oniah III, whose name was also Yochanan, just before the whole Zadokite line was removed from their temple service before Yeshua was born. Through John the Immerser, the nearly broken Zadokite priesthood below was reestablished from the Melchizedek Zadokite line above. In this, the Melchizedek Zadokite line could be made eternal when it was transferred to Yeshua, fulfilling the prophecy of Daniel 9.24. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in eternal tzedok, or eternal righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. This message was delivered to Daniel and also to John's father Zechariah the priest by the very special angel Gabriel or Gabriel. We learn this from Daniel 9:21 through 22. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel or Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering, and he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. And so it was why Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, responded as he did in Luke 1, 18 through 19. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel, Gavriel, answered and said to him, I am Gavriel, or Gabriel, who stands in the presence of Elohim, and was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news, or these glad tidings. The time had now come to legitimately connect the Zadokite Melchizedek line below with the Zadokite Melchizedek line above, closing the prophetic loop between Melchizedek, the one called I am King Sadok in Genesis 14.18, and connecting him to Yeshua at his immersion or baptism in the Jordan River by the Zadokite John, the son of the Zadokite priest Zechariah. So therefore, it was narrated concerning Yeshua when he came to John to be immersed in the Jordan River in Matthew 3, 13-15. And Yochanan tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me? 
But Yeshua answered and said to him, Permit now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill or fill up to the full all of Tzedok, meaning all of the line of Tzedok righteousness from Melchizedek to Yeshua. Then John Yochanan allowed him. Later, Yeshua said in Matthew 21:32, For Yochanan came to you in the way of Sadok, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him, and when you saw, you did not afterward turn around or relent and believe him. And in another quoted part of the narrative, Yeshua goes on to say in Luke 7, 24 through 28, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in king's courts. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Oh, yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than Yochanan or John the Immerser. But he who is least in the kingdom of Elohim is greater than he. This statement that we just read, but he who is least in the kingdom of Elohim or God is greater than he, I think it refers collectively to all of us who come into the priesthood of Melchizedek through our faith, because with our faith in Yeshua, we are transferred to his authority in what appears to be a kind of upline or upload transfer of status. This would, of course, establish the prophetic word of Exodus 19, 5 through 6. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and safeguard my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. This term, special treasure, is segula in Hebrew. It refers to a royal purple. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So in other words, through our faith in Yeshua, ours is a transfer from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light under the authority of the king and priest Sadok in his celestial city of Shalem. All who come by receiving the testimony of Yeshua are then included in this new covenant, and therefore they are called the elect 
through the status and gathering of a priesthood according to the order of Melchizedek. In Yeshua, the prophecy of Exodus 19, 5-6 is fulfilled, and we are therefore called the sons of Tzedok, B'nai HaTzedok, as well as Yehovah's sons of light, B'nai HaOr. Once again, recall from Hebrew scripture that it was through Yaakov or Jacob that Leah gave birth to her third son and called him Levi, which means attached or joined. Through Levi, several sons were born, one of whom was named Kohat. Kohat produced Amram. Later, Amram brought two sons into the world, Moses and Aaron, as we learn from 1 Chronicles 23.13. Later, the Levitical family of Amram was split into two unique branches, each with its own special function. The one branch of Moses was set apart for service of the tabernacle of El Elyon, which you will recognize as a term that comes straight out of Genesis 14.18 with Melchizedek. However, the branch of Aaron, his house was set apart to serve as Kohanim or priests to El Elyon in the tabernacle, as we learn from 1 Chronicles 23.13. And Aaron was set apart, he and his sons forever, that he should sanctify the most holy, to burn incense before Jehovah, to minister to him, and to give the blessing in his name forever. This explains the background of what is called the Aaronic Blessing, as it's recorded in Bamidbar or Numbers 6.24-27. through 27. Yehovah bless you and keep you. Yehovah make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Yehovah lift up his countenance or face upon you and give you shalom or peace. So they, that is, the priests of the house of Aaron and the house of Tzedok, they shall put my name on the sons of Israel, and I will bless them. I think it directly implies the eminence of inclusion into the family of the spiritual house of Tzedok in the kingdom of heaven, that is, in the celestial city of Shalem, through the sons of the one who is called I am King Tzedok, who remains forever as a king over that city, again called Shalem, upholding the prophetic word of Jehovah to all Israel in Exodus 19, verse 6. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. But of course, we know how pride affects all of us from the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. 
and our carnal nature is due to our fallen condition, which is subjected to the declaration of Genesis 2.17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good but evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of him, in dying you will die. Because of our fallen nature, there is a war with our ongoing human condition. This will, of course, change with the coming last day or seventh day great resurrection in Yeshua, who had to be the forerunner of that resurrection when he was raised from two deaths, physical and spiritual, on the third day, based on the fact that he was the high priest Melchizedek, that is, King Sadok, residing as the head of the house of Sadok, and the sons of Sadok as well. It was this house that was the inherited office given over to Aaron in the natural, who was the elder brother to Moses. After Aaron, the high priesthood was passed down to his son Eleazar. And during the days of Eleazar, a cousin to Moses and Aaron, there was one by the name of Korach. And he wasn't so content with having only his Levitical calling. So he organized a band of rebels against the religious system that Jehovah had set up for all Israel in Numbers 16, 8 through 10. Then Moses said to Korach, Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it a small thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the work of the tabernacle of Jehovah, and to stand before the congregation to serve them, and that he has brought you near to himself? you and all your brethren, the sons of Levi, with you? And then this last line. And are you seeking the priesthood also? This clearly shows us what Jehovah wanted for the family of Levi. Jehovah pronounced his judgment based on Numbers 16.26. Depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. And so it goes on in Numbers 16, 31 through 33. And it came to pass as he finished speaking all these words that the ground split apart under them and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men with Korah, with all goods, so they and all those with them went down alive into the pit. The earth closed up over them, and they perished from among the assembly. The divine rule was made clear. The family of the sons of Levi has two branches in order to accomplish all of the spiritual work of the tabernacle. 
Thus it was written in number 1640, No outsider who is not a descendant of Aaron should come near to offer incense before Jehovah. That's precisely what Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, was doing. He was offering incense in the house when he received a visitation from the angel Gavriel concerning the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Now I'm going to take a quick break, and when we come back, let's continue talking about these things. I'm Abi Ben Mordechai, and you're listening to Real Israel Talk Radio. Let's continue where we left off in talking about the spiritual priesthood line of Sadok. Originally, Aaron had four sons, but two of them, Nadav and Abihu, they were removed for dishonoring Jehovah. His remaining two sons were Eleazar and Itamar. Though the house of Itamar survived, nonetheless, it was the one downline descendant of Itamar who had the name of Aviatar. He made a very serious mistake in the 10th century BCE before the Common Era when he took part in an attempt to raise Adonia to the throne instead of Solomon the son of David. We read that near the end of King David's life, this event took place. Let's look at it in 1 Kings 1, 45. So Tzadok the priest and Natan the prophet have anointed him. The reference is to Shlomo or Solomon, and they made him king at Gihon. King Solomon banished him to his home at Anatot and removed his name from the authority of the legitimate priesthood. As a result, the priestly family of the house of Ithamar was terminated, and the house of Eleazar received the sole authority to function in the temple priesthood. And for this, we can see 1 Kings 2. 26 through 27, as it displays for us the line of legitimacy that began with Aaron, who then transfers the true legitimate priesthood over to Eleazar, and then on to Pinchas, and then on to Tzadok, who served as the Davidic high priest in the days of King David who was king of unified Israel. So this is also confirmed from 2 Samuel 15, 24. There was Sadok also, and all the Levites with him, bearing the ark 
of the covenant of God. Shortly after King Solomon, which was still about four centuries after Moses and Aaron, there was yet another political and religious conflict. It happened in the days of Jeroboam. In Hebrew, this would be Yerovam, when the northern kingdom of Israel seceded from its unity with the southern kingdom of Judah. This conflict caused no small national and cultural disturbance. To fix this difficulty, the families of the whole house of Israel met for some high-level discussions represented by Jeroboam of the northern kingdom and Rehoboam or Rehoboam from the southern kingdom of Judah. Concerning these two houses, referred to as Judah and Israel, the people following Jeroboam of Israel, representing the northern kingdom, they rejected the Judean demands for unity with Rehoboam of Judah, who represents the southern kingdom. And what was the reason for that rejection? Well, they just simply called Rehoboam's Judean kingship repressive and controlling, a bit of a government overreach, if you were to ask me. So Jeroboam and the northern kingdom of Israel refused to submit to the government of the Judeans under Rehoboam and under their offered conditions. So with one voice, Jeroboam said to Rehoboam in 1 Kings 12, 16, What share have we in David? There is no inheritance in the son of Yeshai or Jesse. Then he says to all of the people, To your tents, O Israel. Now see to your own house, O David. The end result came to be a split between the families of Israel in the north and the families of Judah in the south. From that point forward, it was the end of the unity of brotherhood between Israel and Judah, as it is recorded for us in the narrative of 1 Kings 12, verse 19. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David or Judah to this day. The family split raised Israel to a new level of cultural and religious rituals that were not approved by Jehovah, as we learn from 1 Kings 12:31-32. He, Jeroboam, made shrines on the high places, and he made Kohanim, or priests, from every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi. Jeroboam ordained a feast in the 15th day of the 8th month, like the Feast of Judah, which was the 15th day of the 7th month, if you'll recall from Scripture. And he offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did it Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he had made. And at Bethel, he installed the priests of the high places which he had made. However, 
the spiritual landscape from the course of rebellion was not unique to the northern kingdom of Israel. The southern kingdom of Judah also fell into its own level of defiance against the Kohanim, that is the priests and the prophets of Jehovah, as we learn from Ezekiel 23, verses 2, 4, and 11. I've stitched them together for you here. Son of man, there were two women, the daughters of one mother. They committed harlotry in Egypt. Their names, Aholah the Elder, representing Samaria, and Aholivah, her sister, representing Judah. Although her sister, Aholivah, that is Judah, she saw. She, referring to Judah, became more corrupt in her lust than she, referring to Samaria, and in her idolatry, more corrupt than her sister's harlotry. This is surely a case of Judah's harlotry and corruption being even worse than that of the northern kingdom of Israel. So during the days of the prophet Yermiyahu or Jeremiah, who also was of that priestly line of Tzadok through his father Hilkiah, the prophetic voice spoke, saying in Jeremiah 25, 4 through 5, Jehovah has sent to you all his servants, the prophets, rising early and sending. But you have not listened, nor inclined your ear to hear. They said, Repent now, every one of his evil way and his evil doings, and dwell in the land that Jehovah has given to you and to your fathers forever and ever. Then Jehovah went on to say, through Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 13, From the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. Notice this phrase, from prophet to priest. It gives us a collective picture of a nation in rebellion against the divine government to accomplish the will of Jehovah on earth. But even so, it did not stop the divine plan and purpose for the nation that he called Israel, my people. Divine wisdom had established a remnant of covenant faithful, as we learn from 1 Kings 19, verse 18. I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. This is a basic framework to help us understand what ultimately happened to the chosen or the elect of Jehovah, based on his prophetic word, again coming from Exodus 19.6, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak 
to the sons of Israel. This promise carries with it an exclusive, eternal, non-transferable election that remains even to this very day, as we read in the accounts recorded for us from Ezra the priest in the sought-after ironic line of Tzedek. Read Ezra 2, 62-63, which is a narrative about some who were making claims for the priesthood. But it was determined that, quote, these sought their listing among those who were registered by genealogy, but they were not found. Therefore, they were excluded from the priesthood, that is, from the hereditary line coming down from Aaron through Eleazar, not Itamar, and therefore they were not qualified. And the governor, referring to Ezra, said to them that they should not eat of the Most Holy until a high priest Cohen, obviously coming from the house of Tzedok, could consult with the Urim, that's the lights, and the Tumim, which means clarifications and confirmations. Taking this forward to the mid-170s of the second century before the Common Era, which was actually quite some time after Ezra, there was yet another growing argument and family infighting to get rid of the, quote, old government and bring in a new way of doing things. So it started after the exploits of one called Alexander the Great, and all of that history is recorded for us in the books of the Maccabees. After the death of Alexander, what he acquired was split up and distributed under the control of his four military generals. However, for the Judeans and the nation's priests, kings, and prophets, they were not just going to lay down and give up their autonomy. It was one battle after another as the Greek Hellenistic mindset came in and became rooted in the nation, sweeping many away into that Greek culture, giving way to another way of life, which was a life among the Romans. Even today, we know it as the Greco-Roman culture. So for many decades, a small contingent of Judeans fought against forced assimilation into the Greek and Roman way of life. Some continued the fight, but most simply transferred their allegiances over to the new conquering authorities for their own purposes and diverse reasons. And in the end, the Judeans were fighting amongst one another, in a sense, I might add, repeating the rebellion of Korah and also Jeroboam. But at a whole new level, it was a reminder from the days of Moses when Jehovah said in Numbers 16.24, Get away from the tents of Korah, Datan, and Aviram. Then Moses followed up with his commanding words 
in Numbers 16.26, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. However, it is interesting to note these words coming from Revelation 18.4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. Let's continue now by looking at the mid-170s before this common era and continuing down line to about the year 50, meaning about 50 years before Yeshua. This involves the sons of the house of Tzedok. You see, they faced great challenges and later faced a growing persecution against them to forcibly take political and religious control over the nation of the Judeans and in return gain the nation's trust and authority and riches. Once again, however, the law of Jehovah stood firm. As we are reminded with the words of Jehovah, who said in Numbers 1640, once again, no outsider who is not a descendant of Aaron should come near to offer incense before Jehovah, that he might not become like Korah and his companions. Now, in this story, Jehovah is not interested in any changes to his divine program. He expects obedience to his will, but he also knows that the heart of man is desperately wicked. And so, we learn from the words of the prophet Jeremiah, who said in chapter 5, verse 3, Jehovah are not your eyes on the truth? You have stricken them, but they have not grieved. You have consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to return. So let's return to that time frame in the mid-170s before Yeshua, because of the fight against the Hellenistic Greek culture, there came to be the wars of the Maccabees, and these were five sons of one Matityahu. They rose up to fight against the conquering Hellenists from the Greek Seleucid Empire. The five sons of Matityahu and their supporters took up armed guerrilla warfare against the edicts of the Greek Antiochus Epiphanes IV, as he set his sights on seeking control of the Levant, also called Palestine. But as I previously said, the Judean fighting was also against so many of their own, who preferred to live as Hellenized Judeans, rather than to die in a series of ongoing wars against the Greek culture, making the conflicts of the Maccabees 
that much more difficult. The combative spirit of the Maccabees is recorded in the books of the Maccabees, preserved in what is called the Greek Apocrypha, though they were not included with the scrolls of the Judean canon of Scripture. After many decades of the Maccabees pursuing religious freedom as they understood it, the Hellenized among the Judeans and even the non-Judeans, it gave way to what is referred to as the Hasmonean dynasty, or in Hebrew, the Hashmonaim, arising from one of the five surviving sons of the Maccabees. His name was Shimon. This history records the forming of a fresh political and religious government, one that challenged the whole gamut of political, military, and religious powers originally given to all of Israel as set up by Jehovah at Mount Sinai. Historically, we know a lot about the politics and religion of the two houses on earth, that is, Israel and Judah. What happened between the two houses and what will happen in their end of days regathering unto a family unity. Okay, so they're not one in the natural, but they are one in the spiritual. This is easily explained when we understand the definition of the term Israel. In other words, the notion of the people of Israel is much bigger than a hereditary family bloodline in the natural. Jehovah defines Israel more as a people ruled by a divine king and high priest. That is, the unification of both functions, king and high priest. And this was done through the prophetic Melchizedek, known from Genesis 14 verse 18 as King Sadok, or the King of Righteousness. Through his established authority, which was called the Order of Melchizedek, we learn that he was called the teacher or the instructor of the priests of Sadok in the downline of Aaron. The Qumran priests understood this and thus referred to themselves in Hebrew as the Yechad, which is an interesting Hebrew term that refers to the redeemed whole house of Israel under the authority of the possessor of heaven and earth, that is, Melchizedek. This downline priesthood, beginning with Melchizedek, believed they had a rightful divine election because it had been written as law on the tablets of heaven. This, of course, validates the prophetic decree of the Zadokite priest Ezekiel or Yehezkiel, who explains a lot about the tyranny that he saw coming against the sons of the house of Tzedok at a time 
when the canon of Hebrew scripture was being positioned as the unchanging constitution of all Israel. By the time of Yeshua, the writings of Ezekiel the Zedekite had already faced an inquiry for a possible exclusion from the canon of Hebrew scripture. And we can see a hint of this when Yeshua said to the Judean body of illegitimate priests and rulers in John 8, 23 through 25. Through our faith in Yeshua, ours is a transfer from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light under the authority of the king and priest Sadok in his celestial city of Shalem. All who come by receiving the testimony of Yeshua are then included in this new covenant, and therefore they are called the, quote, elect. In Yeshua, the prophecy of Exodus 19, 5-6 is fulfilled, and we are therefore called the sons of Tzedok, B'nai HaTzedok, as well as Yehovah's sons of light. Now I'm out of time, and we're going to have to come back and finish up this historical analysis on the next podcast, dealing with a summary analysis about the house of Tzedok and how it played out through the New Covenant or New Testament writings of Yeshua, Shaul or Paul, and the disciples. We'll be back next time. I'm Avi ben Mordechai, and you're listening to Real Israel Talk Radio.